Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, my guest is not only a drag race alum from an international franchise, they are also a close personal friend of many, many years. So expect a very, very candid conversation today. It's Joe Black joining me on today's episode. We're going to talk about our mutual love of cabaret, what it was like growing up in his tiny little town in England. And we're also going to talk about the moment heard round the world. Yes. When Joe Black wore an H&M dress and RuPaul brought hell down on him. All of that today and more on a brand new episode of Hijinks. So buckle up, hunker down, and sink your teeth into some brand new Hijinks. M. Oh. M. Mom. Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by musician, drag performer, drag queen. <laughs> it says drag queen in my notes, so then I changed it to drag performer. I'm such a cunt. Oh my God, let me try again. <laughs> I'm not a drag queen. <laughs> You're right, right? Okay, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to say it again cleanly. Maybe we'll keep it all in. Okay, whatever. Today we are joined by musician, drag performer, and cabaret artist, Joe Black. Hi, Joe Black. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's be clear real quick. You consider yourself a drag performer because... No, I consider myself a cabaret performer. Oh, uh, okay. First, first of all, but um, it, so the term queen doesn't necessarily resonate with you because though you oftentimes are extremely feminine in presentation, your drag is more of a gender less persona. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm not, there's no, there's no intention of femininity. Any, any feminine wiles that people may get from it or if that's all their problem. I'm not trying to do that. That's not, you know, that's not, that's not my issue. Um, if they, if they look at me and go, what a gorgeous woman, I'm over here looking like a mad old Weimar sex clown. And that's the way it's meant to be. So that's your gender identity, Weimar sex clown. Yes. Okay. Now, Joe, <laughs> Joe, um, my listeners, anyone who knows me, anyone who follows me knows I'm a completely open book. So I think it's best to start with <laughs> the very beginning. Now, back, how, how many years ago? This must have been like 10 years ago, nine or 10. It was a while ago, yeah. Near a decade ago, 
Um, I was going to the UK for the first time for um, my very first international tour. It was just three stops and three <laughs> three places. The first stop was in London, and I already was just smitten with Joe Black through the internet. We had chatted here and there. I followed Joe obsessively because he's just, just such a little cutie. I mean, like, who oh. couldn't be obsessed with Joe? <laughs> and then, um, and then one thing led to another. Joe fucked me on my birthday. Now, what's interesting <laughs> about this story is that I have only had sex with two people who have been on the Drag Race franchise. Both of them were eliminated first. Is it me? <laughs> I think it's you. Personally, I've blamed you this whole time. And I was like, as it happened, as, as, as I left it, they cut the mic out, but I was like, Damn that monsoon woman! <laughs> so let's you, start with you. let's start with your name now. Um, Joe Black is your given name. It's it is my, also the name, name of a a Brad Pitt character. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. And I've I've I refuse to watch the film purely because uh, everyone goes, "Oh yeah, like the film," and I I can go, ah, "I've never seen it." And not even lying, I just refused to watch it. Just, I was like, I'm aware it's about death, and it's very long, and it's sad. And Anthony Hopkins is there for some reason. <laughs> He's that's, the one dying, right? It, I don't know. I've never seen it. <laughs> so you were born in Portsmouth. Now your yeah. average, your average American listener is not going to have any fucking clue what the fuck Portsmouth is. Um, before I went to the UK, I knew London. I knew Manchester. That, that was, was it. it. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, firstly, uh, top marks to you for saying Portsmouth rather than Portsmouth, which uh, Americans tend to do. Um, yes, Portsmouth is a small sort of naval town in the south of England. Um, famous for dockyards and boats <laughs> and uh, people without full sets of teeth. <laughs> and you're one of the lucky ones? or uh, Yeah, <laughs> I got all the teeth. I got all the teeth. More fingers than teeth is the, uh, you know, the go. And people the who look like they in more sinks than they washed in, you know? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so... From humble beginnings, where did, where did the um, obsession with, uh, I say obsession because it is an obsession, um, because one thing I love about you is you not only match my intensity in love of cabaret, theater, performance, um, yesteryear, the vintage aesthetic that we're both um, drawing from. I love all these things. You never tire. You never wear out. You are like an energizer bunny of cabaret passion. Does that, energizer bunny, does that mean anything to you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. We we have Duracell batteries. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's the wrong brand. The brand is wait. energizer. <laughs> oh, is it? There were bunnies for Duracell. Oh, wait, no, it know. was Duracell, wasn't it? The copper top? No. Is it she Energizer its own bunny. band? That's why it brand? That's why it's called the Energizer Bunny. 
I just assumed because he was very energetic. <laughs> Whatever. The point is, where did I know it the begin? Bunny, yes. <laughs> where, uh, did well. it begin? <laughs> where did it begin? Wow. Um, um, so I there's this kind of in the cabaret scene, there's this sort of stereotype that it's all full of failed musical theater people. Um and I am not that stereotype because I had no intention of going into musical theater. Sorry, I'm looking you dead in the eye as I say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you've done Chicago and Broadway, now you're fine. Um, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had no intention of being a straight-laced musical theater person. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I was into punk bands and metal bands and, you know, I loved the Dresden Dolls. That was the, that was, they were kind of the, the catalyst for me to start performing. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of worked backwards from there, realizing that a lot of their references, um, you know, the things that they were covering or making reference to or inspired by, I went and dug all of those out when I, you know, mm -hmm. we're talking sort of 15, 16 years old. Uh, maybe, no, 14, 15, one of those. Joe, Within you, that and I, range. you and I did the same exact, I was already performing, but the Dresden Dolls, it was like I was already on my path as a performer and the Dresden Dolls caused me to take a big detour to the Weimar Republic. <laughs> and then I came back to my path. And then in college, uh, in college, Brecht was a big part of our curriculum. And I was already a couple steps ahead thanks to the Dresden Dolls. Um, so it's just funny that we both had a, the same catalyst on different parts of the planet. Yeah, this. I mean, this is why I think me and you get on so well. I think we we come from a very similar place, um, and and similar sort of passion for a particular type of thing. Um, I think we <laughs> deep, both deeply care about our art. Um, you we know, are deeply caring people. <laughs> yes, I. You know, I'm not imagining you're like. Oh, That's a God, line from Beaches. That's a line from Beaches. Oh. But Midler says <laughs> she and then she. It's in one of her more idiotic interviews. She says, Cece Bloom is, oh, never mind. She says, deeply feeling. Uh -huh. <laughs> Feels things deeply. She is a deep feeling person. <laughs> and we are. We are, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I can't, I can't imagine. I haven't seen Beaches for a long time. And for a second, <laughs> I thought you said Peaches. And I was like, why is Peaches saying that? Um, but, you know, I can't imagine you're, you're writing a new tour and going, oh, here we go again. You know, it's, you know, everything you've, you know, every one of your solo shows I've seen, there's clear love and intent. And um, I think that's something we both share is that we're not just doing things for the sake of it. We're doing it because mm. we love it. Yeah. So at 15, 16, you became, <laughs> in 15, 16, now, um, <laughs> Good year. in your teens, um, you, you find this passion, you find this inspiration. Now, are you still in Portsmouth? What leads you to, what leads you from that point to having a career in cabaret? Because it's not easy. I mean, like lots of people think, oh, I'd love to be a performer or do this, this, or this. <laughs> that doesn't mean everyone's doing it because to, I mean, the passion is one thing, the talent is another, but also the just like willing to do the shittiest, craziest gigs. And I know you've done some of them. Because... Oh, we all have. <laughs> the, you know, the the... I think I was, I started, so I started performing, doing what I do at 17. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm as at the time of recording here, I'm 33. Uh, so that's you know 16 years of uh, of doing it. And at the beginning, I was just like, I'll do whatever I want. I don't give a fuck. Um, mm-hmm. And there was a real naivety to it, I guess, that I was just willing to go out there and if it's shit, if it's shit, you know, <laughs> if it's great, it's great. And I just did stuff. And I started doing live music nights. So I remember entering a battle of the bands, but we're talking, you know, there's a rock band or a ska band. And then I come out with the keyboard and I'm like, (laughs) and it doesn't, you know, in the Portsmouth music scene, that was so strange. So I got a reputation for being this kind of utterly bizarre cabaret person that was, you know, sort of punky in nature, I guess, because I gave no fucks. I was really... um, in your face, um, <laughs> you know. I was far more outrageous on stage then than than I am now. You know, I've mellowed a bit. Um, but did well, that, it's not sustainable, then, you know. <laughs> no, I haven't got the kind of. I'll stand there and I'll sing my little songs and I'll say my dirty little jokes. And then I shall fuck off. Um, but doing that and the music, live music thing, and then obviously it was quite novelty locally. Uh, and then someone who ran a burlesque show. I was also street performing as well. I, I missed that bit. So I would play uh, pop songs on accordion in the street um, in Portsmouth Town Centre and, you know, have things thrown <laughs> at me, but occasionally money. And uh, someone who ran a burlesque show saw me and was like, you'd be great at my local show at the back room of this pub. Um, and therefore I did it. Uh, I did a music set and then they invited me back for the next one. And then the host didn't turn up. Um, and I hosted that and then people saw me and was like, come host my burlesque show. And that mm. kind of uh, snowballed, basically, is that, mm-hmm. you know, hosts in, in kind of traditional variety and cabaret stuff in the UK, it's, there's, not, there's not a great amount of them. I mean, there's probably loads, but not, an, not ones that would necessarily do the job well. Like, there's plen- plenty of people able to do it, but just to the standard that a host needs to be because they're in control of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just, I guess I was quite, I was, I was good at it. Um, you know, maybe not great at the beginning, but you know, <laughs> there were, there were less, less, less of the people to go around, you know, people just, had, they needed a host and I was there. Um, Listen, was, hosting, you gotta, you gotta, it, it takes a special skill because you gotta be good at improv. You gotta be quick because when the audience starts heckling or when the audience starts getting rowdy, you gotta know how to like get them back in control, get them focused again. And you have to be charming and, um, funny and witty and you're all those things but you also have to be just a little bit more narcissistic than the rest of the cast right oh yeah (laughs) the 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 host is it's a balance of acting like the headliner but also the caretaker yeah 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 (laughs) because you've you've got to act like it's your show and all of these people you're introducing are your friends and they're amazing and, and and you've got to feel you've got to look like you're in control and all of you know these these audience are relying on you to hold everything together. You're the one that sets the 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 level and the bar of where things are. You tell them when it needs to be quiet. You tell them when it needs to be loud. And you're you're conducting and manipulating uh, hmm. the audience. And that's that's one of my favorite things that I've learned doing that is you learn how to not manipulate an audience in like a bad way, <laughs> no. but in like ways of changing how you speak or things you do you, just it's like it's about take uh, uh, the host is the guide through the show so it's about taking the audience on the journey so yeah the facilitator if of we, good if, times. if 
we replaced the word with manipulate, <laughs> if we re- <laughs> if we replaced the word manipulate with um, guide, then, <laughs> then it I sounds like a little less. I like manipulate better. <laughs> well, it does sound nicer coming from your accent. Joe, um, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned playing piano. You mentioned playing yeah. accordion. Um, what came first, the interest with cabaret or the musical instrument talent? Did you start learning these instruments because you wanted to be able to accompany yourself, or did you already have this under your belt? No, I just, uh, piano, I just wanted to learn it anyway. I started playing it when I was really little and I had a little keyboard and then I started <laughs> doing it again in school. Um, and then it just kind of, I mean, I really liked Evanescence, you know what I mean? It's, uh, <laughs> I wasn't looking to accompany myself at all. I just wanted to, I just loved piano and I always really loved piano. Mm. And then accordion kind of was within that family. It's a different mm-hmm. skill, obviously, but you know, if you can play something with keys, you can probably work your way around it. So, but um, how much formal training have you had? Only about a year or two in school, but I had this crazy Russian piano teacher, and I and I've got this ongoing thing with uh, I never finish educations, um, <laughs> where I it's coming towards the end and the, the exams and stuff, and then as I was going to go do an exam, she said, "Remember." If you go down, I go down with you. Um, and I, I never went <laughs> into the exam because I was like, this woman is unhinged. Um, and I just stopped. Stopped attending. <laughs> well, Joe, um, that's quite impressive to be, you know, sounds like mostly self-taught in the instruments that you play. Um, and you don't just play the keys, though, because you also play musical saw, theremin, um, all the all, all the spooky sounding instruments. <laughs> um, has has there always been a love of the macabre? Is that just kind of another like element to you? Because I know you're also you're very inspired by people like Marlena Dietrich. She has nothing really to do with this um, this um, black clad tatted. <laughs> Tom Waitsy punk aesthetic that you have. Um, where do those where where do those different aesthetics that you incorporate? Where do those inspirations come from, and how do you blend them together? Well, I mean, I was always a gothic child. You don't um, say. I, re- I used to. Do they have hot like topics these... in Portsmouth? No, they do, we don't have them in the UK. When I went to America for the first time, I was thrilled. (laughs) Listen, Hot Topic was such a sore subject um, because it was like I had friends that loved Hot Topic because it made it easy to find clothing like this. And then I had friends who considered themselves authentic punks and Hot Topic was selling out. And I was like, I just I just want 
I just like the dog collars. Can I just have the dog collars, please? <laughs> you can. And, then, and, and the naked, they had, um, I loved it because they had the like naughty birthday cards in the back where it's like mostly nude men on the front of the card. And that was one of my only accesses to porn, you know? This is was my closeted. kind of golf shop. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. You've always you've always been a little gothy, um, but like, where does where did that begin for you? Was it Tim well, Burton, to... like any any good kid of the nineties? Oh 90s? my god! As if as if you, I was what I was just about to say is I, you know, had these face painting kits as a kid and I used to do myself up like the Joker and I would jump <laughs> off my bed and pretend that Batman pushed me off the building. <laughs> <laughs> I that want sounds... to be the Joker being killed. And um, so <laughs> we're, we're, we're painting the picture here. A young, gothy Joe Black uh, discovers the cabaret world, teaches himself how to play instruments, works his way up the Portsmouth music scene through the burlesque circuit. And um, when you and I met... Like I said, about 10 years ago, you were well known in your performance communities in the UK. Um, you were introducing me to a lot of UK performers who are now people I call cherished friends. What motivated you to take the plunge and go on season two of Drag mm. Race UK? Because I, I got to say, when you listen to your life story, um, is it, may I be cheeky and say it's just because Dragula hasn't made it to the UK yet? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, because Drag Race UK is arguably the most mainstream approach to drag right mm -hmm. now. Um, and your drag has always been very underground punk counterculture um we do see though i think in um drag race uk a big diversity in you know the breadth of the spectrum of drag in the early seasons you know early seasons yeah, one, one and two were very yeah bad. yes so tell us a little bit about that well, I mean, I, I was going to give you the option there and say, do you want the funny answer or do you want the the actual? Let's hear the funny answer first and then give us the, the story behind it. So, money. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay, now tell us the real answer. <laughs> it was, so it was, uh, I to be totally honest, I didn't think it was going to be right for me. I never thought it was going to be right for me. The reason I did it is because if I didn't do it, then I wouldn't know if it was right for me. And I knew that it would go one of two ways. Either they would love me, be obsessed, you know, my name would be said in a funny accent, go to the end. <laughs> and, or I would immediately, they'd be like, nope. And that was a, a, a gamble. And I was like, well, it's it's kind of now or never because I felt like the the strike while the iron is hot because it was series one had done so well. Uh, the American one was still like 
on everybody's lips. There hadn't been 300 million franchises by this point. So it was it was really, really bubbling away. And I was like, it's kind of now or never. And if mm -hmm. I didn't do it, I knew that I would regret not having give it a go. Because you always go, what would I do in this situation? What would I do in this? And then it, it was do it or don't. And would I just regret having never done it regardless of what happens? And that that was it really. There wasn't, I knew, yeah, I knew fine well it wasn't the platform for me. And my problem with it really is that I um, am not very malleable. And I've always been not very malleable. I know exactly what I want to do. And I know exactly how I want to do it. But when that's put in a position where you have to morph and fit yourselves into other people's vision of what things need to be, be it for challenges or stylings or whatever, I just knew I wouldn't necessarily be not just willing, but able because I don't have the practice and doing that because I've stuck to one thing. Like the likeliness of getting there and them like, hello, we've got a Weimar cabaret variety show challenge was very unlikely. Um so yeah it was that that's that's the reason why and it's I'm glad I did it to know how it had gone because I'd rather live knowing that it wasn't for me than wondering if it ever was for me totally you know that I mean that's a very good reason you know <laughs> like that's a very good reason to have decided to do it I think you know because Sometimes you see an opportunity in life and you just have to ask yourself, is this one of those things where if I don't do it, I'm going to spend mm -hmm. the rest of my life saying, I can't believe I didn't do it to even try, you know? Michael had to say that to me when I was really debating whether or not to do All Stars. And, and he spoke to the same voice <clears throat> in me saying, if you don't do it, you're going to spend the rest of your life saying, well, if I had done it, I could have done, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, Joe, remind me of your birthday and your star sign. <laughs> oh, God, you're one of these people, aren't you? That I, that I, just thing. tell me, just tell me. No, because I'll tell you when you go, and of course you are. No, I won't say a thing. Just tell me. Capricorn. Okay. Now, <laughs> so, um, I hear everything you're saying about your decision to go on Drag Race UK and, um, you know, you did have very iconic moments, but we just need to acknowledge you were never going to make it past the first episode because you fucked me. So... <laughs> <laughs> they knew. They knew. They were looking at me and they held up a tiny little, like, in the Wicker Man yeah. they got the picture of the girl yeah. in the wallet. They hand over a picture of you and go, have you seen this woman? <laughs> and then... And then um and then they brought you back and then they heard that it wasn't a one time thing that we <laughs> done a few times. And they kicked you right back up. Now let's talk about you got brought back. Now you get you, you get kicked off the first episode. I imagine you got put in some sort of holding cell and then they oh. brought you back. Oh wait. No. Okay, no. Tell me. Tell me. The timeline mm -hmm. is You're not getting yourself wild. in any kind of trouble here. I don't want you getting I in trouble. I don't give a f I don't give a fuck. You're the queen of the franchise. I'm not going back. <laughs> <laughs> you just sit there silently let me speak and then they'll sue me, not you. No, I'll be fine. Um it, there was a covid break. <laughs> yes, so there was yes, seven the covid months. break. Yeah. But yeah. I so I didn't know I was going back. 
<laughs> we had the COVID break. That okay. And now I could not remember if that was during your season or the next, the, uh, the following yeah. season. But yep, it was your season, and you did. You and I did talk about this, and it's all coming back to me. But COVID is such a the 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 lockdown. All of that feels like such a blurry time in my memory. It lives in a liminal space in my brain. But Joe, how fucking crazy. Y'all gather. Y'all start shooting drag race. This is it. This is the moment. This is like you've put however much time into preparing for this. You've got your outfits. And then the COVID outbreak happens and they send you home. Tell us about that. Seven months between the filming. And the thing is, if I had no idea that I was going to be going back, I found out 10 days before they asked and said, would you like the opportunity to maybe come back? And um, if I had known that was going to happen, I could have used those seven months very well as everyone else did. But instead, I just sat at home and painted furniture and anything that didn't move away from me in a lovely kind of mossy green or pink. <laughs> or red, or gold, and um, played games and slowly descended into madness. Um, it would have been very nice to think through that seven months, well, maybe there's the opportunity, but I went, cool, that's done. I shan't be going back again. Everything got put into storage, and I did not even think about it. And then suddenly I'm on a train. I was going to the fitting for the promo look, and then they just phoned and was like, hey, so what you're doing in 10 days' time? I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> that what happened there. That's cuckoo bananas. And so you get the call. You said, you say, I gotta, I gotta do some shopping. You yep. run to the nearest H and M. No, I'm teasing. No, you. I actually already you. had that with me. <laughs> that was my old go-to workhorse dress. I bought, no. I bought one in black as well. <laughs> the re- and I, no, I will tell you why. I, so it it's it was pop and I don't know how to do pop <laughs> and I put I put all my money and my resources into the runways. Mm-hmm. The challenges I was like it was that malleable thing, right? So mm. I was like, and I didn't want to be no offense to people that remortgage their houses to pay for drag race, but that's fucking absurd. <laughs> um, but I was like, I'm not getting into debt for this. That's absolutely ludicrous. I invested my money where I thought you needed to invest it, and then the the challenges i was like pop i was like well i'm never gonna do pop again it just needs to be a simple little something i didn't know it was eurovision i was like simple little something and then i got one in black as well because it was like buy one get one free or something (laughs) and i was like i'll wear this out of costume in the daytime over some trousers (laughs) <laughs> that, that was that's why I had it and then after that all happened obviously we we ended up auctioning the pink one off uh, for charity raising 12 and a half thousand pounds for a local HIV charity Congratulations. Um, which is amazing and then the black one I just sent to a charity shop Joe um of course, this moment is very, very iconic and gets quoted now and um, has led to you having some H&M endorsement deals. 
I'm sure uh, you've got a whole wardrobe supplied by H&M now <laughs> for the free publicity. But um, uh, I want to talk about... <laughs> I hear everything you're saying. Um, so I think anyone who watches the show well... Anyone who watches the show with insight knows that there are so many freaking circumstances. Something that seems like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this person, you know, didn't think that Rue would freak out or something, you know. It's like in the moment, there's so many circumstances going on. Your team decides they want to wear all pink and you're like, what pink do I have? I have one pink thing, you know. And then you're probably... If I may assert, if I may say what I would be thinking, you're probably thinking the whole time, oh, I hope no one recognizes this is an H&M dress. I hope no one recognizes it. And then Rue calls it out. And then you say, I know what'll save me. I'm going to make a cheeky little joke as I do. Charming little me. <laughs> and then you make the joke. And <laughs> just everything exists. Exploded. What, what, what were your feelings in that moment? Can you, can you imagine my shock? <laughs> <laughs> it breaks like, my heart because, of course, it's an iconic moment. And then I'm just sitting there watching it thinking, my friends are fighting. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you, after it all happened, you FaceTimed me and you were like, why do all my friends go on there and piss off RuPaul? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the just the how that uh, hang on, what was I trying to say? Basically, normally like, the side challenge stuff is normally not a problem, but they clearly had not had their breakfast that day, <laughs> and um, it was Michelle actually who asked, and then I did the thing. Um, and then uh, Mother Dearest uh, loses their shit. Um, but I will, and as people pointed this out, and I was really glad some people noticed it, and I don't know if you noticed it. Um, I uh, just, I can't remember what even the edit does, but I just smiled at him the whole time. Because <laughs> yeah, I was like- no, I did notice. And I thought, I'm not going to react. He's furious. He'll calm down in a second. But he just kept going. So I just smiled at him, which I think made him more angry, to be honest with you. Um, and I thought, well, I'm not going to answer back. I'm not going to cry. Because there's no point. What will it achieve? Um, I'll just stand there and ask, thank you very much. I think in that moment, if I were hypothesizing, my best mm. educated guess would be that with your smile and... <laughs> That it might have read as a pearl, is there something on my face moment, which we yeah. know, which we know that, um, well, I, you know, it's, it's funny because it's not just Rue, we, I mean, like, <laughs> Tyra Banks had that epic, you know, like. Well, that's, that's what people refer to that one. That one is the, we were all rooting for you moment. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I have to imagine that like, you know. Michelle's explained it a lot. Uh, this is, I'm not trying to justify anything. This is me trying to like examine, uh, examine and identify what happened in this moment. My biggest thought is that it's like, you spend no time with each other. You don't get to know each other as human beings. Michelle brings it up all the time that like, 
You meet the judges on the runway, and that's the only place you really see them. Rue gets some walkthroughs with you. I I always felt like, oh my gosh, I just wish Rue could get to know Joe Black. You know what I mean? Because Rue only got to know you on the runway. And Kenny was just like, oh, I don't think Rue's getting it yet. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, give him another minute. Because um, we we know that Rue, Rue has a punk past. We know that Rue appreciates punk. It was just like, it felt yeah. like there was a disconnect. But I did call you and I said, and this is, of course, after Dela with with her epic exit from Drag Race. I called you and I said, it's not that hard. You go on the show, you compete on the competition, you win, you leave. I did it. Why can't my friends do it? Because all my best friends were like leaving Drag Race in the most epic meltdown way. (laughs) Again, you are the, the the mutual link here, so I think it's you. I have joked that maybe I sapped all potential from you. <laughs> yeah. Like fucking like with a friend's Exactly. <laughs> you, I didn't do it intentionally, but obviously. Just, the, my favorite thing that happened from that though is people couldn't really work out why he clearly didn't like me. And so we had these, <laughs> not not that I look at things like Reddit very much, but people have sent them to me. I don't look at it because it's, you know, sometimes it's very unkind. Um, but people really thought, there was someone who said something like, Rue and Joe know each other from the olden days and they've always <laughs> never got on. And I'm like, why are you the olden about? As if you're... <laughs> 50 years old. <laughs> but oh, people Joe. thought we had like a genuine feud. And I was like, I've never met the man before in my life. All I can all I can say is like, you know, knowing you, it's just you're such a lovely, delightful person. And <laughs> why'd you and, laugh when you say that? Because it breaks my heart <laughs> thinking of you on that runway getting dressed down by Rue and 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 you're just, I just can't even like you just told the story and I'm still like what was going through your poor little head and you're telling me what was going through your head and I'm still like I just I wish I was there to hug you is really how I feel you know <laughs> even if you didn't need it even if you were composed and you felt okay whatever you were going through all I wanted to do was crawl through the TV and hug hug my <laughs> friend Joe. <laughs> Um, I, we've talked a lot about, um, we've talked a lot about drag. We've talked about a lot about your artistry and, um, cabaret at all. I want to know, well, more so I want my listeners to know a little bit more about your home life because you're, (laughs) you're not just an interesting person in your career life. (laughs) Uh, if I were to just rattle some things off, <laughs> your partner is Brighton's premier Nosferatu impersonator. <laughs> You're absolutely covered in tattoos. What are you, five foot two? <laughs> you sound like Tom Waits. Um, and you live with Tourette's syndrome. And yes. 
I just want to, I I just rattled off a lot of things I know about you. Tell my listeners a little bit about Joe Black behind the mascara. (laughs) I like that you basically went, so your boyfriend's a vampire. You're a very small man, but you sound like you smoke 7,000 cigarettes a day and you have involuntary tics as well as tattoos. That's what that was. Um, and I said, like, yes, uh, cut me off a slice of that. I've got a thing about Tom Waits and you in a second, but we'll get to that <laughs> because I was listening to an interview with you and you brought something up that is relevant. Anyway, um, I, I, I like, um, I like things. I'm looking around the room right now and there's a lot of shit everywhere. Uh, there's, I've got a Mark Ryden Barbie across from me next to Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman in a giant figure. There's Danny DeVito. There's the David Bowie Barbie there that somebody sent me. I've got all of the Sanderson sisters, Michelle and Gomez, um, toys, Michelle. What did I say? Morticia. What if Michelle and Gomez? I'm thinking of Michelle Gomez. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, Joe, how did you and your partner, Aaron, meet? You've been together at least a decade because you were together when you and I met. Over a decade. And you have been in an open, um, non-monogamous relationship that whole time. (laughs) You and Aaron were dating when you and I met. Um, I am very open about also being in a non-monogamous relationship. And then it was kind of seeing how well your relationship with Aaron, like, had gone for many, many years being non-monogamous. I was like, it's really, truly possible to have a committed, loving relationship and be non-monogamous. Um... Is it a love story for the ages? How'd you meet? <laughs> uh, we were teenagers. That um, long ago? Yes, when we met, yeah. Okay, go on. And then we then we knew each other. We, we saw each other casually. And then, um, you know, uh, just kept in touch over the years. And then one day it just kind of happened. <laughs> uh, it just happened. I think we both were like, we're both really difficult people. Maybe we should do this together. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense, honestly. And you brought up Morticia and Gomez, and there is no better way to (laughs) describe you two. Aaron is this tall, well, Nosferatu impersonator. (laughs) Like, just imagine (laughs) the body dimensions of Nosferatu. And um, you, out of drag, are quite the dapper little gentleman. You don't dress unlike Gomez. You... Truly. I also Um, grew a pencil mustache recently, but I had to get rid of it because it was a fucking nuisance to keep up. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What has your life with Tourette's syndrome been like? And I know that it doesn't really affect your work because when you're on stage, you're usually kind of like in your zone. Animated, yeah. Yeah. But how does it Um, affect you in your personal life? It's a strange one because I sometimes forget I have it. 
In fact, mm-hmm. I was just talking about it to, today with someone, and I was like, oh, I forget I have it. And then you brought it up. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. It, yeah. I, I thought it was a conversation topic. I wasn't like, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> just so you know. No, how it actually, so when I was a teenager, people just said, oh, it's just a nervous tick. So essentially, yeah. people were going, you're nervous. Why are you nervous? Stop being nervous. You keep moving when you're nervous. You're very nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, went, I mentioned it to a doctor, and they were like, let's try it. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Um, because I think the understanding of it is that it's someone going wanker, um, involuntarily or whistling like a bird. Uh, and it's not. It comes in many ways. So like, mine's kind of changed and developed over the years. I mostly do a cough, and I do like a long blink, um, (laughs) and I knock my head back. Uh, Mm -hmm. happening as I'm talking about it right now. Um, so often, actually, what happens is from stage, people just assume I'm on cocaine. Yeah. Um, it's just, <laughs> because people, of, like, yeah. It's erratic, lots of sniffing. <laughs> I go, and then knock my head back and, you know, lots yeah. of jolty movements. And sometimes when you go, it's Tourette's, they go, uh-huh, sure it is. Sure. You know, you and I have talked about this in our friendship about how we both have things that get dramatized and um, sensationalized in pop culture media representations you know like uh i have people constantly saying oh you have narcolepsy why why haven't you fallen asleep are you gonna fall asleep boo you know like shit like that (laughs) like try to like i'm a fainting goat or something and just like you were saying like people assume it's one thing and um then because it doesn't look like that they think Oh, that's not Tourette syndrome. I know what Tourette syndrome looks like because I saw an episode of South Park. You know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Though I did have a tick very briefly where I would wink, which that's very, that that's quite disruptive to your day. That's a whole Seinfeld episode. <laughs> and someone like goes walking towards you, and you're like. <laughs> Well, if you do it like that, was that the tick? Is that you did it all coy? It was was, was like this. (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, you did it a little like in slow motion just now. I was like, yes, of course that's going to give (laughs) people the wrong idea. Um, Joe... (laughs) (laughs) so um you live in brighton for those of us who whose understanding of the uk is limited to like i said you know like london and manchester i think um until you go to the uk i always (laughs) say i thought the uk was going to be the fanciest place in the world (laughs) because of my like understanding of it from pop culture i thought london was everyone was just going to be so posh i didn't realize that um, you know, the UK is just the US with bad lighting. It's it's the it's yeah with better gun laws though. Okay, that's everyone's go to. Okay, I didn't know you valued your life, Joe. Okay, <laughs> well, we don't, well, the thing is, we don't need to because we've also got free healthcare. <laughs> so tell tell me. Tell my listeners about Brighton. It's a very lovely place, and it's where you well, reside. Well, it's, it's basically Portland, right? That's the... 
I think it's a little bit more like Seattle because Manchester's a little more Portlandy to me. But both both places have similar vibes. It's it's where the alt queers and the and the um, <laughs> how would you describe it? Queerdos. The, the queerdos. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's the sort of place where you're just as likely to see someone shouting at a pigeon as like a lobster riding a unicycle. It's that kind of place. Like, it's kind of, it's a bit rough and a bit, uh, you know, some areas and, and maybe not so nice, but it's it's kind of... That sort of thing where you, you go very Brighton. You would just see something strange going on very Brighton. And mostly <laughs> people are just sort of left to it. You know, no one really gets that bothered. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure people do get bothered. But, you know, I've I've walked home from all manner of shows in all sorts of states and never had an issue. You know, when I'd go for my brunch gigs pre-drag race and I'm walking through Kemptown where I live in makeup at 11 o'clock in the morning, people just went... Good morning. You look fantastic. It's not <laughs> what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people just accept it. It's a very strange place. And I think, I mean, seaside towns in general are very weird. <laughs> um, they they attract the sort of proper dregs of society. Um, and I am that dreg, you know? Yeah. No, I, I honestly... Uh, Kenny and I, when we briefly discussed moving to the UK... Brighton was our destination. One, because of uh, most of what you just said. (laughs) And also lovely shopping. Um, But also there's a really lovely drag community. You're part of a very loving and supportive drag family who I always refer to as my my British drag family. Um, <laughs> you're kind of like the, uh, what do they call you, grandpa? <laughs> yeah, to the Uncle Joe or Uncle uh, Joe. Because yeah, we have like when I, I I briefly moved just outside of Brighton, so I would often have to like yeah you know, I have to travel in if I wanted to come see my friends. It was only for a couple of years, and if I'd come in and at the end of the day I'd go, oh thank you all for a lovely day, and they go, oh a successful Uncle Joe's day out. Um, <laughs> but it was like being gathered around, going, come here children, I'd like to say thank you very much for taking me out today. It was very nice to get out of the house, and they put me on a train, and I'd fuck off because I'm no one's you know father, mother, or any of that shit. I'm I'm the uncle in the corner that's giving you terrible advice, but I will support you. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're nearing the end of the episode, but I want to give you just a little bit of space to talk about your connection to the actress Glenn Close. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, before just because it's going to it's going to escape my mind and i have to say this to you cuz you don't reply to my texts anymore that um, is not true <laughs> don't text me on whatsapp how many times do i have to tell you instagram you have an iphone ios text me i don't check whatsapp unless i'm working that is for work you have all these other ways to text me and you insist on texting me on the one platform i've told you i don't check often so i came to new york to see you (laughs) listen you i'm just not gonna like abide this whole you don't answer my text when you don't respect my text requests (laughs) requests <laughs> i didn't know this this is the first I've time i've said it to you this. multiple times i don't I'm sure. remember things i drink 
Um, Go on, what were you going to say? There there was an interview I saw with you. I think it was with Trixie Mattel, where you said that people do impressions of you like Jennifer Tilly. Yeah. And um, (laughs) there was a bit in my last show where I did an impression of Tom Waits, and I did this thing from the Tom Waits to Jinx Monsoon scale, where it's the same voice, but it keeps pitching up. Uh, and Jennifer Tilly is in Jennifer Tilly's the middle ground. That's here. that's very funny. I like it was, to... May no, I? Go on. Yes, yes, please okay. let me hear it. Okay, so so we started Tom Way. So uh, me and my wife Catherine were looking on eBay, <laughs> and we found the dying breath of Henry Ford. It was in a Coke bottle, and then you took it up a little bit. And you know, Chucky's my mom always said, if you cook dinner, the least you can do is wash the dishes. And then it goes up, and it's just takes monsoon. <laughs> take away a little bit of the rasp, make it a little bit airier. Um. What's funny to me is that the the Zoom call, like your voice actually cut out for me <laughs> when you oh. started doing jinx. <laughs> the the listeners will hear your local audio. Um, my experience was that the jinx voice was so high and loud that Zoom couldn't register. <laughs> like a dog whistle. <laughs> um, Joe, now that it exists on my podcast, um, you can't. Uh, we, we've hashed it out. If you want me to text back. You know where to find me. We have proof. We have. I'll, I'll send it on the on the on the the, the, the What did you say? The iOS, <laughs> iOS, SMS? Instagram. Come on, SMS? get with the times. MRS, SMS. MNS. Come on. Okay. CB, now. Hey, CBT. <laughs> Joe, um, I love you to the moon and back. Um, you are. <laughs> You were like family. You're like family to me. <laughs> um, but uh, it is nearing the end of the episode. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Where can my listeners find you? Um, how do they follow you? Uh, well, w- what do you want them to know about you? You've got music out. You've got you've got things. <laughs> I got things. I got stuff. I got things. Um, Mr. Joe Black is the social media handles, M-I-S-T-E-R, not just M-R, Mr. Joe Black, completely spelt out. I have a podcast called Joe Black Meets, um, where I've interviewed some lovely people. We tried to get you, and you, uh, well, you were doing Chicago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> bit busy, um, but we got Ben de la Creme instead, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> I know, I love Ben. I wanted the both of you. Um, no, the podcast, you know, guests like Dawn French, Lemony Snicket, Sophie Ellis, Bexter, uh, Ben de la Creme. Um, who else did we had? Lots of good people. Uh, Mason Alexander Park. I enjoyed my <laughs> shout out in your episode with Mason. Oh, yeah. Um, Listen, as soon as, as soon, well, now I'm already in writing boot camp with Dela, so um, my next few months are spoken for as well. But, Joe, you know, <laughs> have your people hit, hit up my people. <laughs> I just send, I send, I send the SMS, I send the MMS, I send the, the, the parcel force, send the carrier I send the pigeon. American Express. <laughs> um, the Raven. Uh, Joe. <laughs> As a fan of my podcast, you know that there are compulsory questions I ask every guest. Are you ready to answer them? Yeah, I will say that I said I listened to it. I didn't say I was a fan. 
<laughs> All right. Um, Joe Black, first question is, who is yeah. your celebrity crush today? Oh, today. Um, it's probably pretty much always Eddie Redmayne, I think. <laughs> that makes sense. Did you get to see I him just... on the West End in Cabaret? Yes, I did. And I was saw him fantastic? up close and he, he looked me in the eye and he was amazing. Not as good as Mason, but <laughs> amazing. Well, Mason has different experiences to draw from. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but I'd bang I bang them both. <laughs> <laughs> um, next question is, are you spiritual? No. Yeah, I thought with the way the you mocked my... My craft and my interest oh, yeah. in your star oh, side. The, moon, the moon's being a bastard. Though <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. Everything, everything felt really strange the other day. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to check. And I Googled, is Mercury in retrograde? And it said yes. And I was like, maybe I've been wrong this whole time. <laughs> well, you know what? I don't have time to try to convince well, you. <laughs> what happens though is that's when you when you said the star sign thing, I was mm -hmm. like, and I go, I don't believe in that. I'm a Capricorn, and then people go, a typical Capricorn, <laughs> of course. And the, and I go, no, no, no. Tell me what you mean by that. And they go, you know, you just, you know, you Capricorns are all the same. Um, but no one ever tells me exactly what they mean. And then every time, I, no, no, no. Tell me, you. No. <laughs> Listen, um, Capricorns, I'll tell you, Capricorns are stubborn. They are headstrong. Um, if you think of the qualities of the avatar for each sign, that gives you a hint into the qualities of the person in line with that sign. Fish Capricorn, goat. yeah, you're a fish goat. Um, <laughs> Capricorns... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you're um, you're bullheaded. <laughs> I I really wish you had started that with. Now, listener, I tell you, you little Tourette's laden, tattooed <laughs> five foot Christ. four fucker. <laughs> oh, I love that you corrected your height though. Very. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I've been saying I'm five seven for years, and then Aaron calls me a liar, and he was like, "You're five five at most." <laughs> Listen, I said it before, and I'll say it again. That list of things that I was teasing you with is also the exact same list of things that wound <laughs> us up in bed together, and I still think, <laughs> I still think of. You, anytime someone says the phrase, oh, that's so dirty, I hear Joe Black's voice in my head saying, so dirty. Are you making me, oh, oh. Oh my God. Is that your, is that your impression of me? So dirty. <laughs> Lawrence Cheney says that I talk like I'm telling people secrets. <laughs> Now, now come over here, I got something to tell you. <laughs> okay, my final question for you is, what is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, it's really boring. I was thinking about this today, and it's a really boring answer because I don't... I, I, I wouldn't voluntarily go to a karaoke with the intention of doing karaoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what yeah. happens is, what I'll do is I'll have had a few drinks... And then I'll be like, I'll do some karaoke. But what I'll do is I'll do anything that's in my actual show. 
and oh <laughs> that I know really well or have performed. So it will always end up to, it will be something like Sweet Transvestite or Poor Unfortunate Souls or something that they absolutely are guaranteed to have at any uh you know reputable or non-reputable karaoke establishment. <laughs> um and other people really push the boat out because once I learnt my mistake is that I tried to do Hit Me Baby One More Time, which I do in shows, but I play piano for it. And then I forgot what the actual song sounded like. <laughs> and then I got to the bridge and I was like, oh no, because I don't do the bridge whatsoever. So I've learnt to stick with exactly um, what I know. Which is some Rocky Horror or some Little Mermaid because they will always have it because they're very unlikely to have Tom Waits at karaoke. Yeah, you know what but I mean? listen, one of the things I like at karaoke is to sing the songs I would never get to sing in my show. You should use karaoke as a break from your show, not to go to the to the the hits you know, um, because then you're like a ringer. <laughs> the thing is, I you know, I'm not very malleable, like I said earlier. So I do exactly what I want to do anyway. You know the you song know Jolene I mean? by Dolly Parton. Do that one next time. <laughs> I do know, and I also do it at shows. I know, so do that at karaoke next time. But you have to commit no, to doing it like not, Dolly. That's not the sad piano one that I do, though, <laughs> isn't it? I Jolene, don't know if that kind of cheer. Jolene, <laughs> Jolene, Jolene, I'm begging of you, please. No, we can't sing it, can we? Because that will get um, someone else's oh, property. I, I, I don't know that anyone who could get us in trouble is listening to my podcast. Anyway. Dolly's listening. <laughs> Listen, everyone. Be sure to follow Joe Black, my friend, my lover, my <laughs> drag race peer and um, uh, co-sisterhood. <laughs> it's weird to call you my sister because, we, you know, all the drag race girls, we all call ourselves the sisterhood. We all, all of us, you know, uh, the the girls, the sisters, the, I like to say the coven, but, um, you know. You're my sister, and we bang. Oh. Queer relationships are re complicated. No, no, you want to make this worse? I'm your <laughs> uncle. And no. uh, Stop it. Okay, I started it. I shouldn't have started it. Joe, I love you to pieces. Everyone follow Joe Black. Um, Joe has music on Spotify, yes? Yes, yeah. Final Curtain. Listen to Joe's podcast, Joe Black Meets. And if you are in the UK or if you are planning a visit to, to the UK, um, be sure to check Joe out live. Do you have um, regular shows people can see you at in Brighton? Or should oh, they just yes. follow your goddamn socials and it's all Well, there. follow the goddamn socials, but also I've started a variety show called The Kleinest Cabaret um, in Brighton, and that's my opportunity to book acts I like. Because like you said, I'm very obsessed with cabaret and I see things and I just want to see them more and I want to give them money for doing it in front of people because I get very excited at people seeing things that I enjoy. I envision your future including a Spiegel tent, you know, like a permanent set up Spiegel oh, yeah. tent where it's like Joe's cabinet of curiosities. Oh, <laughs> and the camera. And oh, yes, the camera. I, I'm just stealing that from American Horror Story because I just watched that season. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Joe, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. It's it's evening time for you now. You, you've got to be. all right. 
Starting dinner. Are you hungry? I don't eat. Go have an evening tea, love. I ate some bacon rashes. You hear that, Kristen? (laughs) I thought you were... No, you're not a vegetarian. Whatever. Anyway, thank you for being here, Joe. Uh, And thank you so much for listening to Hijinks here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So be sure to search for Hijinks wherever you listen to your podcasts and hit subscribe. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Hijinks. So until then, keep listening. God, I really thought I had the script memorized. See you next week, everyone. Bye. M. Oh. M. Mom. To listen to Hijinks one day early and ad-free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hijinks is produced by Moguls of Media, a.k.a. Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio. <laughs>